Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 4, is the foundation for where we're going to begin today. Paul the Apostle, he's writing to the church in Rome. He's never visited that church, but he writes ahead. He does plans and desires to visit them. And he says in Romans 15, 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Now, obviously, he's writing this. So, you know, he wrote most of the New Testament. He's not referring to books of the New Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, to the Scriptures and the sayings of God that had already previously been written and had been recorded. He can't be referring to the New Testament. It's not been compiled yet. But he's saying whatever was written before, they were written for our learning. Now that's important because those of us who are following Jesus or seeking to learn what it means to follow Jesus, you got to understand that Jesus said as a follower we're to constantly be in a posture of learning. Learning. Meaning our, bri- our brains not to be in a constant fixed state. Your mind's to be open to Jesus Christ. Now, you don't want your mind so open, as you've heard before, your brains fall out. But you do have to be open for the Lord to grow you in your understanding and to learn. We're to be learners. But then he says that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. I want to preach a message to you today titled, Hope Connection. Will you say that with me? Hope, connection. And before I do, I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that minds would be loosed and set free from demon attitudes and blinders and lies and that which would seek to blind them from the reality of the living hope that's available through Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would minister based on the blood of Jesus and His covenant to hearts and minds today. Speak better things than what the enemy's spoken to them. Speak better things to them than what maybe people of their past have spoken. May Jesus be encountered. May Jesus be manifested. It's in His name I pray. Amen. You know, hope is a powerful thing. Of course, it's more than a thing, but nevertheless, hope is powerful. And like many things, you don't, know the power of it until you no longer have it. Some of you don't know the power of hot water because you've never lived without it. But I know the power of it because when Michelle and I were planning a church in the Philippines and we went out went without hot water every day, when I got back in America, every morning when I step in the shower, I say, thank God for some hot water. You like cold showers, I can't help you. Only Jesus can help you. But I enjoy a hot, a hot shower. But hope's one of those things. It's so powerful, and yet it's often not until we don't have it do we realize just how powerful it is. Let me tell you a true story, a story within my story, my personal story called life. New Year's Eve 1998, I had been drinking alcohol and mixing drugs that night. One of the drugs was LSD. I had taken two hits of LSD. And at some point during the night, I was standing in the kitchen of the house I grew up in. We no longer lived there. My parents had the house for sale. They had already moved into a new home. And I was there standing in the kitchen, and I looked on the wall in the kitchen at a clock. And as I stared at this clock, it became apparent to me that the minute hand wasn't moving. In fact, not even the second hand was moving. Now, obviously, if I was in my right state of mind, I would have maybe thought it needed batteries, but I wasn't. And I sat there and I noticed time seemed not to be existing. Time seemed not to be relevant. 
And when I made that observation, I heard one thought come from the outside of me. That's where the thoughts of the devil come from, by the way. And that one thought was this. It's too late. You're in hell. Now, when that thought hit my mind, it's like all possibility and awareness of the reality of hope vanished instantly. It's as if someone took all the thickest blankets that many of you have or will be buying for these winter months to sleep in. My wife, she's already got several of our thick blankets on the bed for this cold. I go to bed and I feel like an Icelandic warrior, brother. I mean, just these thick blankets. But it's as if someone took all these thick blankets and threw them over my heart and mind and clothed me with the fear you could feel. The sense of hopelessness was so drastic that I ran upstairs instantly into the only room that had a bed left in it. And next to the bed, there was one of those three-legged tables that you can get at Walmart or Target. And over it was a tablecloth. And on top of the tablecloth and table was a, a candle. And around the candle was a glass dome vase. And I sat there in this sense that I had entered into eternity and hopeless of ever being able to leave hell. And I cried out to God and I said, God, if there's any way, if there's not too late, I want to serve you. But in my scrambled moment of demonic influences and on substances, I grabbed that glass dome and I slammed it against the edge of that table. A shower of glass was left in my hand and I slit my wrist right here. I had nicked just a artery at the end. No one knows how long I was in there. God used one of my friends who was high to unlock the door eventually. You can imagine the scene. Called the ambulance and God in His mercy spared my life. One of the worst things about the reality of eternity in hell is hopelessness. No chance for a do-over. No chance to go back. No chance for it to ever change. And when I think back of, to that moment and that experience, traumatic event I had, one thing it taught me is the power of hope. Without hope, I never would have, or with hope, I never would have thought of hurting myself, cutting myself. But in a moment where hope seemed to be removed and gone forever, ideas and thoughts that I normally wouldn't think I would experience came. In fact, it reminds me of a story in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 27 and verse 13, you read that Paul, the apostle, that just means he was sent by Jesus to tell the good news. He had been arrested for preaching this hope called the way. It was a sect within Judaism, these Jesus followers, and he's arrested and he has to appeal to Caesar. And he's on this journey in Acts 27 and verse 13. It says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clotta, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to underguard the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope, watch this, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Here they are and they are being driven by a storm and a storm so great that they can't compete with it. They have not seen the sun or stars for many days. They are, in a sense, clothed with darkness. The waves and the 
rain beats upon them and it begins to be so drastic that it says all hope that they would be saved was finally given up. Maybe as you listen to this story or even my story, there's elements in it that strike a chord with your heart. Maybe you hear elements of your story in this story. Notice that things were breaking apart. Now, obviously, no one got on the ship initially that did not believe the ship had sailed before, was able to sail, was sturdy. See, we don't end up in places, right, starting off thinking that things are going to break apart, that difficulties are going to rise, that hard times are going to come. We enter in to things believing with a positive outlook it's going to go well. But life at times surprises us. Storms and circumstance surprise us just like it surprised, surprised this ship and these sailors. And what used to be stable, what used to be successful, what used to be able to be able to navigate and not be driven is now being driven by a power greater than itself. Things seem out of control and it says the ship is breaking apart. Maybe that hits with you. That things are breaking apart that you never thought would break apart. That your career path seems to be breaking apart and you never thought it would break apart. Relationships with siblings or maybe your spouse or whatever is breaking apart. Notice they begin to take measures into their hands as much as they can. They begin to use cables to try to earn undergird the ship. Maybe you're using cables and things to try to undergird the difficulties in what you're facing. Notice the text says that they begin to throw things off the boat into the storm. Maybe like you, you've tried throwing everything you got at the storm to make it stop. You've thrown your attitude at it. You've thrown your curse words at it. You've thrown your energy at it. You've thrown your priorities at it. You've thrown your focus at it. You've found anything you could to throw into the storm to try to make it stop. And yet, it continues to beat upon you. Pressures continue to mount. You continue to sense that you're being driven. Then it says that they took the ship's tackle and threw it overboard with their own hands. Maybe you've tried tackling the current problem in storms of life and situation you're facing with the tools that's in your current toolbox and yet the storm keeps raging. It says in the next verse, Acts 27 and 21, but after long abstinence from food, they were fasting. Now this is a forced fast, but it's a fast nevertheless. The prodigal son had a forced fast, but he came to his senses while on a fast. Then it said, Paul stood in the midst of them. Oh, this is good news. Listen to me. God will never allow any storm, any tempest storm, any darkness to come where there's not right in the middle of it some beacon of light. Listen, you can have great, great thick darkness, but just a small light of a candle shines brightly. And that's what Paul was in the midst of this storm. He was a beacon of light and hope in the midst of a situation where all hope seemed to be lost. Paul stood in the midst of them like a beacon of light, a beacon of hope. And he said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. What do we see? We see point number one, that the God of hope uses His children as hope connectors. See, the reason Paul stood in the midst as a hope beacon is that Paul had a relationship with the God, the God of all true hope. And he stood in what seemed to be a hopeless situation but because he was connected with the unseen God of hope, he was a beacon of hope to people around them. Paul said, look, even when all hope was lost, Paul was a vessel of hope because he was connected to the God of hope. He said, the God I serve and the God I know said, we're going to lose the ship but we're not going to lose our life. Woo, and the ship can be rebuilt. 
God can rebuild the ship. He can rebuild a toolbox. He can give new lessons, new tools to navigate the storms of life. But he said the lives will be saved. See, Paul was a hope connector to these men on the ship. And he was a hope connector because he was connected to the God of all hope. Do you know that you and I, those of us that have a relationship with God, our Creator, through, the, through following Jesus Christ, that we are hope connectors to people around us? That we actually are a hope connector? That we can connect people that those storms have driven them, circumstances have driven them, that they find themselves in seasons and situations that they don't want to be in. They seem that all hope is lost in what they're facing. God wants to use us right in the midst of it and say, I want to tell you that there's still hope. Not because I'm able, not because I know how to get out of it, but I know the God of all true hope. And as long as there's life in your breath, then the God of hope can break in and change an impossible situation and turn it around hallelujah give him praise see God desires for us followers of Jesus to be a vessel of hope to those around us that things can be different for them that maybe they've been up every night and they're filled with anxiety and they've went without food because they're so anxious and worried and they've not seen light at the end of the tunnel and they see no way out of the storms and circumstance. God wants us dwelling place as a community and individually to be a vessel of hope that, listen, things can be different. That the kingdom of God's at hand. There's a new way to live. There's a new experience available. That there's been a door of hope opened. And that door is through the person of Jesus Christ. That there's a newness of life that's been offered. That your past don't have to drive your future. That where you were brought up and the side of the tracks you were born in don't have to drive your future. That there is hope available for you and your future. That though maybe you've been unable through your own hands and your own toolbox to tackle the storm and problem, God's able to help. God is able to help. And when we find people who began out of curiosity to listen to us as a vessel of hope and as a hope connector, we then want to lead them to where they can connect with more hope. And guess where one of the ways they can connect with more hope? Through the Scriptures, through the Word of God. This brings us to the text we read in the beginning, Romans 15 and verse 4. Paul says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of Scriptures might have hope. He says, listen, they were given that we would learn something, and one of the keys that we're to learn through Scripture is that hope is available. Now, if you don't know much of the Old Testament or the Old Testament Scriptures he's referring to, that might not stand out to you. But those of us that have read Scripture know Scripture, this really challenges us at times. Because I know many people that go and they read the Scriptures. See, listen to me. There is horrendous, evil, and a lot of wicked, horrible events recorded in Scripture. There's rape. There's incest. There's murder. There's entire nations fighting against each other and being cruel not even seeing other humans and valuing their humanity. I mean, there is a lot of evil recorded in Scripture. And yet Paul says, out of all of the millions and millions and millions of stories that could have been written and recorded and inspired by God in the recording of them, God chose these events that they may teach us and cause us to learn that it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how dark a nation seems. It doesn't matter how troublesome the world around us is or our own world, that hope is still available. See, this is how you know if you're reading Scripture in the right spirit. If you walk away from Scripture, even the evil stories, even the most heartaching stories, if you walk away feeling less hope, you're not reading it in the right spirit. God takes what seems to be hopeless stories, evil stories, and through it, the right spirit allows us to gain hope. Hope. That, that there's still hope. There's hope. There's hope for you. 
And there's hope for your story. There was hope for the story of entire nations that for years and years and years and years and years resisted the goodness and mercy of God. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. He says they were written that we would find hope. So when I read that this week, you know what I said I'm going to do? I'm going to do a word search. Yeah. Technology. I'm technologically advanced. Me and my iPhone, what am I up to now? Six? Think of iPhone six. I know how to do a word search as well. So I typed in the word search, this powerful word, H-O-P-E. And thanks to having typing in high school, I did do it from the home row keys. That wasn't pick, uh, you know, peck, pick, home row, no pecking, home row keys. H-O-P-E. I wanted to see every scripture in all of the Bible that contained hope. When it came up, I about fell out of my reading chair. If it wasn't so big, I would. But I have a big reading chair because I'm a big man, as you can tell. And you know what came up? Every verse in the book of Job. I started reading it. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I typed in H-O-P-E, hope, and I'm reading scripture verses one after another where hope's not mentioned. And yet every verse in the book of Job came up as a scripture reference that included hope in it. I said, something's wrong. Back on Wi-Fi, old router, devil in the world trying to slow down my sermon prep. What's going on? You know, we start blaming God and stuff all the time. That's why i got to be slow to speak. So I, said, I deleted it. I closed the app out. I said, something's wrong. I opened the app back in, went back to the search, typed it again. H-O-P-E. Boom, came up again. I said, oh my goodness, what in the world? Now, if you're not familiar with Job, this man lost his family. He lost his home. He lost his business. He was the wealthiest of his area. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost friends. He lost the support of friends. He lost his wife's support. And here in this word search, it's listing every verse as hope. I know some of you are pessimists and you wouldn't believe me. That's why I took a picture of it. Look at this. 1,070 verses. It lists the entire book of Job as verses that include hope. See, those of us that have read the whole story and then read the book of James, it says that God knew from the beginning the end he had for Job. Wow, that every verse describing the process that Job was in is a verse of hope, that there's still hope. Though the storm tarries, or though the storm stays, though the darkness seems to stay, though the hardship and the rain and the storm continues to beat and the wind continues to blow, Job verse after verse says, but because God is the God of all true hope, there still is hope for you. Hope for your situation. Because you know what happened at the end? The Bible says that God restored everything that the devil put his hand and touched on Job. God restored it double-fold. Meaning, God is so powerful that he took ingredients of evil and added it to his greatness. And in the end, good still came out of it. See, I don't know how my wife does it, but she's got a way, Tim, of taking a bunch of ingredients, and the thing always turns out good in the end. I have to pray for some of you other brothers. I'm sorry, but I'm fasting for your wife to learn. And stuff. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. God knows how much I need it. 
because I had so many other struggles and, you know, messed up past. But he blessed me with a wife that could cook. But there's times I come in the kitchen, I'm like, what in the world is that diabolic smell? Smells like, what kind of, what kind of thing are you using? What kind of spice is that? It smells horrible, but I've learned to trust. That she can take what smells and looks like a bad wrong ingredient and mix it in with some other things and in the end it turned out good and amazing. I want to tell you that because God is a God of all true hope, He can take what the enemy meant for evil and mix it in with His power and His goodness and in the end make it turn out for good. I want to tell you that your situation ain't the end of the story. I want to tell you though the storm has stayed longer than you ever thought it would blow because God's a God of all hope that hope is not lost for you in your situation. That God takes what seems to be impossible and He has a way to mix it all together and make it possible. I want to tell you that your past don't have to drive your future. Your past failures don't have to dictate your future. That because God is alive, there is hope. It's hope. There's hope. You know, when I looked at that word search, you know another thing that stood out to me? Is you don't find Jesus teaching on hope. There's only one teaching where he actually mentions the word hope. And it has nothing to do with hope. It has to do with actually money and financial stewardship and relationships. He said, if you lend to people that you hope that they return it back, he said, well, even sinners do that. Why do we not find Jesus teaching on hope all the time? Because listen to me. Jesus is our living hope. He didn't have to teach on hope because His presence was living hope. Everything He taught and everything He did was a demonstration to all those listening and watching that there's hope for your situation. You've been blind your whole life. He's living hope that you don't have to stay blind in your future. You've not been able to walk in the things of God, the favor of God, and the plan of God. You've been sitting, just asking and begging for people to help you and carry you where you need to get, depending on people. When God asks you, no, to learn personal independence and dependence on Him. Jesus' presence is living hope that you don't have to always stay lame. He's called by Peter our living hope. The very presence of Jesus was saying there's hope for your tomorrow. There's hope for your today. There's hope for your future. There's hope for your situation. Jesus was and he still is a living hope connector. He's constantly going about demonstrating that a new reality, a new way of living, a new experience of life, a new kingdom is available. So when we find people who are curious, as God uses us as vessels of hope and hope connectors to them, we want to direct them to the Word where they can find hope where they can look at situations that seem so dark and seem so lost, and yet God still shines as the God of all true hope. But secondly, listen, we want to direct them to His mercy. There is a deep connection between mercy and hope. A deep connection. And in Psalms 33 and 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. On those who hope in His mercy. I want to tell you today, friend, that if there's one thing you can hope in, you can hope in God's mercy. You can hope in His mercy. He says those who have the fear of the Lord hope in His mercy. What's the fear of the Lord? It means this. Those who have a healthy regard for who God is, and that their life is lived before God, they can hope in God's mercy for them in their life. Because listen, those that don't have godly fear, those who have no regard for the Lord, they don't care if He judges them 
whether he does or not. They don't care about the Lord or any things of the Lord. You go tell someone that don't have a reverential fear of the Creator and the fact that there's a God and they're not God. Listen, if they have no reverential fear, they don't care when you talk about what God's going to judge you. You can't live that way and get the life you want. They don't care. But those of us who care, listen, the fact that we care is evidence that we have some level of reverence for the fact that we're not God. We're not our creator and he's God. And those of us that do care, we care about our life, we care about what we do, we care about our life. Listen, God says, because you care, you can put your hope in his mercy. Wow. You know why? Because James 2.13 says this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, when I have reverential understanding that there's one true God and I'm not Him, and I'm going to give an account for this life He's given me and what I do with it, I find myself becoming pretty anxious because I know how fallen, how, how fallen I am and how short I have come. And you know what the comfort of Scripture says? Hey, that's reverential fear. His mercy will triumph over where you are aware you should get judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what that means? His mercy triumphs over our failures. It triumphs over our failures. It's like what Lamentations 3.22 says. It's through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. Listen. You remember that story of Paul and the men and the storm? Paul was a beacon of God's compassion failing not in the midst of a circumstance and a storm that they could not make stop or control. Paul was a beacon of his mercy. You remember what Paul told him? Because Paul was in covenant with God, he had God's wisdom, had God's discernment, he told him from the beginning, don't set sail. Don't set sail. Now's not the time. And they did it anyway. Any of you know any people like that in your life? You say, listen now, don't do that. It's going to lead to more harm. It's going to lead to more damage. Anybody know people like that? And yet, even after they did the very thing God's wisdom and word and discernment was telling them not to do, guess what was still there in the midst of the storm? God's mercies. And if God's mercy was there for people who didn't have a covenant with Him, those of you that got a covenant with your Creator through Jesus, guess what God's got flowing towards your life? He's got mercy to triumph over your failures. He's got mercy to triumph where we should be judged. He's got mercy. We fell along the path of growth. We fell along the path of progress fell along the path of being conformed to the image of Christ and living out the good works and the plan He has for us. But listen, His compassion fails not. You may fail, but God's compassion won't fail towards you. I might fail, but His compassion won't fail towards us. You know what Micah 7.18 says? He delights to show us mercy. I've had many seasons where this was pressing on my heart and people would come to me and ask for prayer. And I'd say, now wait a minute. Let me clarify. Do you really want me to pray for you? Because what I'm going to pray is you get a storm big enough where you realize how much you need God's mercy and need Him. See, we need to live with an awareness. That it's His mercy constantly, even when we're not aware of it, triumphing over judgment that should come. That it's His compassions that fail not, that keep us from being consumed in condemnation 
and shame and guilt and stuck in a storm and driven by wrong thoughts and negative emotional experiences of storms of our life. Isaiah 55 and 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So many people are driven away with the wrong idea and the wrong conclusions. They're driven away from coming to the gathering today. They're driven away from the local church and a community of followers. Some of you have allowed the wrong things to drive you away from the secret place. You've not been in the secret place for a month, some of you many months, some of you days. You've not been in the place of prayer for weeks on weeks. You've not been in the place of getting comfort and hope from Scripture and spending time with the Father. And the enemy begins to drive you away when you forget. Listen, what did he say? He said even the wicked person, and that's not you. He said even if the wicked person will turn and return, guess what's waiting for them? God's mercy. My God, how much more for us who's been reconciled to Him as His children. If we return to the place of prayer, return to gathering again with the local church and believers, return to the place of reading Scripture, guess what the Father has waiting for us? Mercy. His mercy triumphs over judgment. See, listen, we got to be a community that when we gathered on Sundays and we're thinking and Saturday nights and planning to come and we're waking up Sunday, we have expectation to come here. You know why? Because we know regardless of how difficult it week, a week's been, where we failed in learning and failed in the process, that we know what's waiting for us as we encounter the Father corporately is His mercy. Could you imagine? When we understand that every Sunday when we come, every time you go to the secret place, every time you turn to the Father, you have an awareness that what's waiting for you is His mercy will triumph over judgment. His mercy will triumph over our failures. For He will abundantly pardon. You know why? Listen, God takes pleasure in us hoping in His mercy. Listen, God doesn't take pleasure in us trying to trust in our, what we think are strengths. God doesn't take pleasure in the legs of man, the psalmist said. He don't take pleasure in us trying to show how great we are, how excellent we are, how strong we are, how better we are. God takes no pleasure in that. You know what He takes pleasure in? is people who trust in His mercy. Wow. Because you know why? Listen to me. Even the areas where we experience God's strength because we have been brought to faith to trust Him in those areas. Listen, even in the areas where God's strength gives us victory, whether we're aware of it or not, there's still areas where we need His mercy. We need His mercy consistently because His mercy triumphs over any area where judgment could come and define us for life. Psalms 147.11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His mercy. I want to tell you today, maybe you're like those people who set sail and they did the very thing that God's Word and God's wisdom told them not to do. And you're in the situation you're in because of choices you've made. You've disobeyed wisdom and counsel in your life. But listen, there's still hope for you. You still can trust in something, but don't trust in your toolbox and your tackle box and your ability to get out of the storm and make it stop. What you need to trust in is the mercy of God. That God's mercies faileth not. His mercies are always there. All you got to do is run back to Him, turn back to Him, and His mercy can triumph over where we should experience judgment. Wow. He takes pleasure in us hoping in His mercy. You know what His mercy does? It motivates us to pray and to seek Him. I can tell you whether you're seeing this aspect of the Father clearly based on your expectation on what you're going to get when you encounter the Father in the corporate gatherings, based on what you're going to hear and get when you draw near to Him in the secret place. 
Because when you understand that mercy's waiting for you, listen, that encourages you to pray. It encourages you to seek Him. Because His mercy will triumph over our failures, over judgment. Daniel 9.18, watch this. He says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city which is called by your name. Now Daniel and God's people have been taken captive. Just like the people in Acts have been taken captive by a storm that they cannot stop. They're being captive by darkness and rain that they cannot make stop, cannot cease. And Daniel says, listen, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. See, understanding the mercy of God motivates us to pray and to seek Him. Motivates us to draw near to Him. And because mercy is God's nature, watch this, it endures forever. And because mercy is your heavenly Father's nature, it endures for you even in the midst of the storm and what you're going through. In Psalms 52, verse 8, the psalmist said, But I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. Why? The psalmist is not flourishing because the psalmist is better than the others sitting around them. The psalmist is flourishing because they've learned this. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever. Watch this, because you have done it. You have provided the victory. You have got me out of it. You have caused the storm to stop. You have broken the addiction. You have delivered me. You have saved me. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. I want to tell you, you can wait expectantly in what you're facing because you're connected to the God of mercies through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, because He's alive, His very presence next to the Father is the presence that there's living hope for your situation, that mercy is available. Just return, just draw near to Him, and God will do it, not because we deserve it or because of our righteous deeds. He'll do it because His mercy endures forever, even through what we're going through. Trust in His mercy. Throughout the process of growth, trust in His mercy. Throughout the process of sanctification, trust in His mercy. Throughout the process of you being conformed to the image of Christ, trust in His mercy. Throughout the process of you learning to skillfully and rightfully in love use your spiritual gifts, trust in His mercy. Throughout the whole process, trust in His mercies. They fail not. The little babies in the baby room. They're learning in the process to walk. And in that process, they fall down a lot. People try to label that as failure. That's not failure. That's part of the process of learning to trust in what God gave them. Their ankles, their feet, their tibia and fibia, their knees, their legs, their bones. Some of you, what you're calling a failure is just part of the process of you learning to trust in what God's given you. And all along the process, what you do is you trust His mercy. That His mercy will triumph over judgment in and through the process. The issue is, are you engaging in the process? That's all He asks of us, is believe that He's got mercy awaiting for us. And let's respond to His mercy by seeking Him. We see this. We see it with Ezra and the returning Jews. During the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, remember the city of Jerusalem, God's old covenant people, has been absolutely ransacked, destroyed. The foundations lay bare. The city gates and everything has been burned. All the stones of the temple have been destroyed. They've been taken to captivity. And it looks like all hope is lost. It looks like the city will never flourish again. God's words will never come to pass. And God begins to stir Ezra and Nehemiah and some people to go back. And in Ezra 3, 10 and 11, they return. And watch this. It says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. Watch this. And they sang 
responsibly. Wow. Did you know that when we come and gather corporately in the Father's manifest presence, that we're not to sing just because we feel like it. We're to sing responsibly. Meaning responsible children understand their response when we gather and come is to open up their mouth and praise Him and to lift their hands and clap their hands and to celebrate. Celebrate what? Well, let's keep reading. They sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever towards Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They sang responsibly. We as a church got to be a people that sing responsibly. That we sing in response to the mercy upon our life. We have a responsibility to sing and to come expectant and to worship Him and to praise Him. Why? Because His mercy endures forever. We don't sing because we've had a good week. We don't sing because we feel like He's done everything we want this week. We sing because His mercy triumphs over judgment. Reminds me of what Jesus said about the Father in the New Covenant. He says He seeks those who worship not just in spirit but in truth. The truth is, is every Sunday that we have breath in our lungs and we can come and gather and we can come in here corporately, the truth is, if we are to be responsive to what God's done, then we'll come and we'll sing because His mercy endures forever. We'll sing based on the foundation that we're saved, not by good works, but by faith in Christ. We'll sing because God in His mercy has saved us and redeemed us and set us upon a solid rock, the rock of the person of Jesus Christ. We'll come in and we'll have expectancy to praise and worship Him. Why? Because that's what responsive children do. Responsible children praise and worship. Why? Because in response to the mercy that God's had on their life. That's the truth. The truth is every time we come in, God's been merciful to us. We got our response then should be to praise Him. We shouldn't have to pep talk you and wake you up. We should come in responsibly because of His mercy. See, listen to me. The more I'm aware of the reality that I'm not good and godly in myself, the more I can become aware of how good and godly God is. Now watch this. When that awareness happens, there's a big gap. There's a big gap between who I am and who God is. And it's in this gap that God gives a revelation of His mercy. Because in the gap, I can think of, and guess who can think of? The enemy of your soul, the devil can think of every day and every week reasons within that gap of why you deserve judgment, of why you shouldn't succeed in the plan of God, why things should break apart, why things should never get better, why you should be stuck and trapped in the storm, why the storm should never cease, why God's light should never break in, why the anointing should never liberate you. But it's in that gap that God gives us the revelation of His mercy. And responsible and correct response to His mercy is that we sing responsibly. We come expecting. We come ready to engage. We come ready to sing and to worship. In Ezra 10, as the band comes, in verse 1, the story of Ezra and the rebuilding of the temple continues in Ezra 10 and verse 1. It says, Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept very bitterly. And one of the sons of Elam spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed, trespassed against our God, have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. 
Now in the Old Covenant, the Jews couldn't marry people from other nations. Listen, it's not because God's against mixed relationships. I'm in a mixed relationship, by the way. Hello. We'll always be a multicultural church as long as me and my wife are here. Hello. They, it was forbidden because all the other nations didn't know God yet. And they worshiped demons. Through their idolatry, they worshiped demons. So God didn't want them to mix and to be married because you can't raise godly seed with two types of worship in a home. You can't have the table of the Lord and the table of demons in the home and godly seed be raised. So God forbid it in the old. And yet, God's people didn't care. They did whatever they wanted. They took whatever they saw that they wanted. And yet, God's in this rebuilding process after it seems to be a storm of judgments going to define the rest of the nation forever. And God's brought them back. His mercy begins to be demonstrated. They start repenting. And they said, we've trespassed. I'm married. I have children now with someone I was. And it says, watch this. Yet now, there is hope in Israel. You ready? In spite of this. My God. I don't know what your in spite of this is. But in spite of your disobedience, in spite of your slowness of heart to learn, in spite of your slowness to yield and trust Him, in spite of your disobedience, there's still hope. Because God is a God of hope. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of hope, would begin to confront some lies of the enemy that says because of your failure, because of who you've been with, where you've been, who you've been, that there's no hope for your future, that the Holy Spirit would give you a boldness today that you'd look in your inner eye at those things, those failures, and say, in spite of this, there's still hope for me in my future. Not because of my goodness, but because God's a God of hope. He's a God, the God of Job. He's the God of Scripture that takes ingredients that the enemies tried to sow in my life, takes ingredients in wrongs that I've sowed in my life, and He has a way to mix it with His power and cause good to turn out in the end. I don't know what your current in spite of this is, but God does. And He's a God of hope. There's still hope for you in spite of this. What I'm trying to tell you is there's mercy in the middle. There's mercy in the middle of the process. There's mercy in the middle of the storm. There's mercy in the middle of the failure. And those who care about our failure, those who care and want God's will, those who care and want to experience His freedom, those that care and want change, there's mercy available. Just run back to the Father. Run to the altar. Come every gathering expecting that what the Father has for you is more mercy. That where judgment should define you, where prison should enslave you, where bondages should keep you, God's got mercy instead. That mercy will triumph over judgment. My God, could you imagine a church that comes that comes early, comes on time, comes with expectancy, that I'm going to get mercy today, I'm going to get mercy after this week, that His mercy endures forever, that where judgment and things should lock me in and keep me hedged in, His mercy is going to cause me to triumph through it, triumph over it, that my past ain't going to dictate my future. Because the psalmist said in 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I want to tell you that in the middle of the process, in the middle of growth, He won't forsake you because He made you. Your biological father and mother didn't make you. They, they had a role in it. But listen, it was God who made you in your mother's womb. 
because you're his creation in the middle of the process he won't forsake you there's mercy in the middle there's mercy for the process there's mercy in the middle of the circumstance mercy in the middle of the storm there's still hope because God who created you is a God of hope and a God of mercy therefore his mercy should motivate us to move forward to be willing to grow to run to him and to seek his mercy See, the hope for change, the hope for your future, Paul says in the New Covenant in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. He says it used to be a mystery. It was hidden for ages, but, but now it's been revealed. And to them, God willed to make it known. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to be clear on it. He wants you to live it. And here's the riches of the glory of this mystery. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope's not in your toolbox, friend. The, the hope's not in your ability to gird the ship. The hope's not in your strength and your legs and your ability to stop the storm and change yourself and cleanse yourself and bring victory to yourself and healing to yourself. Listen, the hope for change is Christ in you. It's His ability. It's His character. It's His provision. It's His grace. It's Him and Him alone. The word hope in the Greek... It means expectation of good. Despite of how long you've been in the storm and situation and driven by life and things outside of your hands, your hope and your expectation for future good is Christ in you. Hope of glory. What's glory? Listen, glory is the biblical word used of when something comes into full view and display so that it can be viewed and judged and then it's shown to be splendid. Therefore, it results in praise and honor. Listen, our hope, your hope, this church's hope, that when we're set in view to the unbelievers and the community and the people around us, that what comes into view when they look and judge it, that it is glorious, the hope for that, the hope for that glory is Christ in us. Christ Jesus. The hope for this church is Christ in us. It's not of our own ability. It's Christ in us. That's where hope comes from. I don't know where you need to feel what your blank is. Hope for whatever. But the answer for your blank where you need hope is Christ in you. this local church, Paul says Ephesians 3.20 that God can do more than we could ever imagine or ask by His power at work within us. Listen, not by our power, by His power. All He needs is a group of people who will get out of the way of thinking it's about us who will come expectant and responsibly praise Him because His mercy keeps triumphing over our judgment. He can do more we can ever imagine or ask. And it says to Him be glory in the church through Jesus Christ. The way that He, God, has made visible and put in the view around people around us through this church is through Jesus Christ. It's by His power at work within us. And it says this to all generations. After I'm gone, after you're gone, do you know how God can still be being glorified through this community? It's through Christ through all generations, to all generations, in every season, in every generation. And because of this, we should sing responsibly. We should come in here and first time guests should be eyes wide open saying, why is there such a response? It's because we've seen ourselves in the light of Himself. And we've realized the gap, and yet we're not consumed because His mercy endures forever. See, lastly, many come to hope first before coming to faith. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to know eternal life, a quality of life, lived in communion with the Father, the Creator. But listen, most people come to hope first before they come to faith. God wants to use us as hope connectors. 
to tell people it's maybe always been this way but it don't have to stay this way you maybe always been driven and always been confined and always in bondage but there's hope for you because there's a living hope and his name is Jesus we're to be a hope community because we serve the God of all hope with him thank you so much for listening to this week's message If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.